Everyone ready for some good food? Got your Bibles? Got your bread? Did you bring your bread like we said at Link Church? Um, if that sounds strange and you're visiting, don't worry, I'll help make sense of it. Uh, we really have come to believe that the greatest food we can feed ourselves is the Word of God. Before any diet, any meal, any, uh, any, any favorite out there, as I mentioned, mine is sticky ribs. But before you get into that, you want to get into this because it feeds you in a way that sustains you. It's not short term. It's not just temporary satisfaction. It is long term joy. Last week I spoke about the word being feed. See it as feed. And so when you read the word, don't read it for outcomes or formulas because we sometimes do. You know, we've been brought up to uh, topical search. So you're going through a discussion in finance, topical search on finance. Five scriptures, quote them, hope it works. Look, it's going to have power. I'm just not sure that's the goal. Um, you know, topical search on marriage. Three scriptures on marriage. Quote them to your wife. Be careful now when you do that, though, husbands. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to bring that up as your argument. You know, you don't want to bring that up as the, the anchor of your argument. But baby, in, in, in Leviticus 5, 17, you know what it says about ladies right there, you know? That's the end. That is the end right now. Ladies, tap your husband and say, that's the end. And so we bring Scripture into our lives when we need it, but God's given it to us as feed because we always need it. You see, we, we snack on Scripture, but God has called us to feed on it. In the desert, they would have manna in the morning. The instruction of the leaders was to fetch enough for their tents. There were many people in the desert, many people on the planet today. And leaders' instructions to go and fetch enough for their tent. The only rule is you don't keep any for tomorrow. You only take what you need for today, which is to say we have to feed every day and there is some for tomorrow waiting for us already. In other words, don't try and store up. Today I'm going to read three chapters of Psalms, four chapters, 15 chapters, and I'm going to go quiet for 14 months and hope it all works out. No, you've got to have a little bit every day. Tap your neighbor and say, that's good for us. I'm going to get you moving today, Link Church, because I can feel springs in the air and I'm quite excited. While I'm talking about the Word, I want to honor our pastoral team, Kans Henwood, Amber, Dennis, whoever else was involved in this moment. Last weekend, I was chatting to a crew of people after the service in the foyers. They came to me and they said, Dill, you know this whole thing about the Word, you got us so excited today, and I realized some people don't actually have one that they like to hold. So what if the church got behind an initiative to put really nice Bibles in people's hands? Before I could say I'm excited, there was a guy with us who said, I'm in. He put money toward this resource. They went shopping this week. And so I want you to know, Link Church, that before you leave today, if you're online, again, book your ticket, come visit us. It's available. Or give us a shout out. We'll send one to you. How's that sound? But if you're here today and you do not have a Bible that gets you excited, you're not sure where to start, you don't know where to find one, I can promise you right now that a dime doesn't, sometimes they don't land in the right place. We have, there we go, they're getting set up. They're going to put them on the platform to show you that they're available. We have, I think, 70 amazing Bibles for free for this church to bless you with the Word. Is that one of them? Jeepers, that looks amazing. I thought mine was special. That thing would speak like nothing else. You see, as a church, we're not precious about um, religious activity. We want relationship. I don't think God's impressed by how many times you came to church. He wants to know, are you getting some good food? Uh, how much money is in the bank? He wants to know, are we invested in the future of people's lives? And so I just love the fact that, can we just one more time celebrate? This is amazing. Thank you, team. You guys are awesome. And so again, uh, let's start with one per household, lest we give away 400 in the first day. But if we do, who cares? We'll find more. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you ever buy a beautiful Bible for yourself, buy a second one and add it to this pile. You know what I'm saying? 
like pay it forward. Um, I won't go into the detail of what these Bibles cost, but I want to tell you they are very precious books. All right, Acts 2, chapter 42, I can feel already. We could go home. You could get your Bible, go home, feed yourself, be fine. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is why the word matters in this house, and to the fellowship, which is why gathering matters, and to the breaking of bread, which is why meals and communion matter. I'll break that down for you. And to prayer, which is why communion with God in, in, in conversation matters. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a moment in church where we say, come on, let's begin to pray, or if it's a moment in your quiet time in the mornings, or if it's a moment with a friend who says, I'm about to go into a business meeting. Don't miss a moment to say, can we pray for it? It can be very simple. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. All the believers, verse 44, were together. Shout together. And had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as had need. I want to tell you that moment of generosity is giving to people that have need. This is what's going down in the book of Acts as the church is birthed. And there's a good thing happening in our church right here in 2022. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together. There's the word again, with glad and sincere hearts. There was gladness in their gathering. Praising God, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Thank God for a worship team that gets us on the front foot on a Sunday morning. And they enjoyed the favor of all people. Question, who would, who would like a little bit of extra favor? As I said last week, we ask for favor. God gifts us with faith. And the way he gifts us with faith is by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And it's when you get around the thing that matters most to him that you start to attract the things that matter most to us. Or that we think do. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. So Father, I thank you for your church. It does feel like a family reunion here today, even online. I just thank you for friends and family. And I ask God that as we unlock your word one more time, that you would just nourish the depths of our souls. That we would leave here strong and secure and readied and steady for the week ahead. In Jesus' name, everyone said. I have a few stories that I tell my children um, but there are only one or two that they ever ask for again. Any parents identify? I make up stories all the time, but there's a few that they keep asking for again and again. The one they love the most is the one of when I went camping in the Berg, when I was about 14 years old. I'm the oldest of four siblings, and so my sister was 12. My brother would have been seven, somewhere around there, and my younger sister would have been five. And uh, my parents, because they're great parents, empowered me as a 14-year-old to take four siblings as the eldest camping in a cave in the Berg. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Thank you for the adventures. And uh, it's a true story. And uh, we went camping in the Berg, and this is the story I tell my kids all the time. And, they, and they're like, and then, Dad, how old was little Michaela? You know, they want the details. And then we went camping, and, and the baboons came in the cave. And obviously, when I tell the story, I, I tell a big part of how the baboons came and interrupted our sleep that night and made a racket in the cave, in the Berg. And the four of us were there. And when I'm telling the story, I keep emphasizing, I was 14, and Jade was 12, and Brandon was 7, and Michaela could barely speak at 5. And, you know, the kids, my kids now are saying, and then, Dad, what did you eat? Because they know every time I tell the story, we eat the same thing. Bully beef and two-minute noodles. And they love it because when I say bully beef, they just start laughing. Ah, bully beef. I don't think they even realize this. there's the thing. There's a, there's, a, there's a strong, dynamic substance, tinned processed substance. Forget broth, you know. Bully beef. Um, 
And so I tell the story, and then we, then we made hot chocolate, but we spilled the hot chocolate and landed everywhere, and then we made another plant, and we swam in the river, and we bathed, and we, we did our thing. And, and then the kids go to sleep, and oh, they're laughing. And the next night, or a few nights later, hey, guys, who's keen for a story? Yeah, 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 Dad, we want a story. Which story do you want? And I'm just hoping there's a new one, but they want the same one. Because how many of you know stories have layers? You can tell the same story, and if it's a good one, you can hear something new. You can, you can tell the same story, parents, and add a little bit of spice. This time around, the bully beef tasted a bit different to the last time around. This time around, the fire stopped, and we scratched some sticks together and made our own spark, and suddenly I'm Bear grills. you know? You know it's just like a, no wonder they keep asking for a story, because it's got layers. Shout layers. God's story has layers, too. And one of the challenges is that we read it quite linear, but it's not. It's layered. And so let me tell you a little bit about this. I'm going to teach you some stuff today, so much so that you are going to jump at these words later. And so in, in, in the story of God, there are two kind of translations of it or um, uh, outcomes or places from where it comes. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. So much of the Old Testament is narrated in Hebrew or Hebrew-style language. Much of the New Testament is narrated in Greek-style language. Now, the difference between the two is, uh, is, is vast, I would say. Hebrew culture was a storytelling culture. They, they have very few words, actually, in Hebrew. And so when we were in Israel, we would try and learn the language, and everyone would say to us the same thing. The Hebrew language is difficult to learn, not because the amount of words, but where you put them. So actually, Hebrew culture, Hebrew language, they're only a few words, but the possibilities are almost endless as to where you position them in the story. So when Hebrews would tell a story, they would pack a few words into it, and it would have layers of meaning. And so there would be people, and this is why the synagogue, the teacher would sit in the middle of the room, and as they would teach the Holy Scriptures... So people would converse and say, but I heard something different, but I hear it like that. Because if you understand Hebrew culture and Hebrew word order and Hebrew language, when a, when a teacher or a rabbi is teaching from the Holy Scriptures, there are, there are so many ways it can be interpreted. And so there's a process by which they arrive at a healthy and holy interpretation. I'm going to teach you a little bit about that today. Greek culture is a little bit different. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. And so in Greek culture, it's far more linear. Uh, it's, it's far more direct. Greek culture likes to make sense of things. Now, what happens is in Greek culture often is you get these kind of polarized views. In Greek culture, you either get like the orthodox view that say we're not going to negotiate anything. It is what it is. We're just going to do this, do that, check the box. Very orthodox culture. Or you get the total opposite, which is this mystical, super spiritual. And so in Greek culture, what often happens is you split the physical and the spiritual. You draw a line between the two and you say, either you're just going to live by what you see and what makes total sense and you're not going to get confused, or you're going to get super mystical, super spiritual. Now, as I'm speaking, you're going, I wonder what this means. But if you look at the world, that's how many people arrive at their worldview. And so we have these like, and it's because much of modern day culture is driven through Greek philosophy. And so you have these worlds apart. And I think when you go back to the stories of old, that's why I love reading the Old Testament, it takes it back to story. It's like when my kids say, Dad, tell me the story of the cave again. It's like us saying to God, tell me the story of Boaz again. Because I can read the same story, but see a new layer. Shout out layers. And so Hebrew culture was beautiful. It was proven by miraculous proof. Greek culture, proven by logical proof. 
And so just an amazing kind of tension between these two worlds that shape the modern day word. And I really feel like some part of the church needs to go back to reading it like a story and asking God to bring clarity. And I'm going to give you four simple ideas for you to arrive at greater meaning, greater, greater food, greater, let it be a feast when you feed on it. It's not just a simple thought, but many, many layers. I love Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Bible. He was interviewed at a leadership conference a few years ago, and the conference, about 30,000 people in the room, obviously hanging on every word he speaks. He's a beautiful mind, since passed away, uh, but has written many books that have changed people's lives. Amazing mind. And uh, he was interviewed, and this guy said to him, Eugene, you have been an incredible gift to the church at large. 65 books. And he smiled at the guy, and he said, I appreciate the honor, but it's not 65, it's 64 so the guy says, ah, it's just numbers. Who knows, Eugene? I think it's 65. You think it's 64. What's the big deal? And Eugene very calmly says to the guy, no, it is a big deal because I, you know I think I know where you're going wrong on that last number. The guy looks at me and says, the message was never my book. You see, the message Bible that Eugene Peterson wrote, it took him some part of 30 years to write the book. He says it was never his. All he's doing is adding layers to the story of all. It's not his story. It's not his idea. It's not his book. And don't you love that a man into his 80s that's devoted his life to unpacking this resource so that the church could come alive can look at the interviewer and say, it's not my book. I'm just helping tell the story. Shout layers. The title of my message, if you want it, is The Pursuit of Paradise. And so I want to give you um, four words in Hebrew culture that they use to help interpret the Bible's meaning. And, uh, and hopefully it'll help you want to read the Bible. If you've been coming to church for a long time, it'll challenge you to learn new things. If you've just arrived in church, it'll encourage you to jump in this journey that is a beautiful, exciting journey around the Word of God. The first word is a Hebrew word named Peshat, or said in English language, plain. I'm going to give you an acronym for four letters in Hebrew that are going to help you see the Bible in different ways. The plain meaning. And so when Hebrews would read Scripture, they would always look for the obvious. This they say, the Bible verses never lose, by the way. The next three I give you are uh, layered with versions of your own interpretation. This one's not allowed for that. This is the plain meaning. This is what it says and is what it is. It's the plain, it's the obvious, it's the objective, Peshat. And so when they start reading the word, they look for the obvious meaning. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use Acts 2. You ready for some fun, Link Church? I'm going to use Acts 2 and Psalm 57 as a New Testament and Old Testament scripture to help you see how the layers of reading can bring a scripture to life. All right, so let's go. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone's filled in all many signs and wonders. All believers were together, had everything in common, and they continued to meet. That word meet is very plain. That's the word peshat in this text. Now, there may be others, but when you read that, what you don't want to do is negotiate some of the obvious fundamentals they met. So when we build church, we, can't, we, we, can, we can deconstruct many concepts around the church, but the one we can't take out is they met. We must gather, we must meet, we must be around each other. That's how the church builds. We can't build church alone. And that's because when you read this, there are certain parts of it that will never change. So shout out to anybody. If you're in your living room, I want to encourage you. You're with us in this moment. We are building church together. You may be in your room, but we're still meeting together. But what you can't do is do it alone. 
And so this kind of simple meaning of the plain text brings it its obvious kind of thing. And you start there. All right? So we must meet. How we meet begins to get the layers going. In Psalm 57, to use a different scripture, as I said, to show you what this idea of pushat or plain or simple meaning is like, it says this, I will take refuge under the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. This is David speaking to the Lord when he's running from Saul. All right. Now, when you read that, you go, well, you know, if you want to get kind of mystical in this, wings can look really random. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on, but what I can be sure of is there's a word protection in the middle of the scripture. Can you see that? I will take refuge under the shadow of your wings. I know there's a practical meaning here of protection. So I start reading this verse knowing God protects. Before I try and make sense of wings and refuge and shadow and all these kind of other things, which is what we love to do, I'm getting there. We start by going, God is a God who protects. And that part of the verse we don't leave out. So let me encourage you. Many people say, I'm a simple guy. Take the word it is. That's fantastic. That's step one. And it's the one that we can't lose. The plain meaning, Peshat. Now you're going to notice as I get going, things layer a bit and it starts to get really exciting. So stick with me. The second word is the word remez. Now, I know you're never going to remember the Hebrew words, so I'm going to give you acronyms in English that are going to help you, right? This is reference, or uh, like hints at meaning. So when you read it, there is the obvious, there is the simple, or plain, and then there is this referenced meaning. Uh, the word remez actually comes from the thought of winking at someone. So you know when you say something, and then you look at someone else in the room and you give them a little wink as if to say, like, you know what I just did there, right? You know that feeling, Link Church? So this is what's going on when we read in the layer of Ramez. So we read the obvious. They met together. But then we start to look at the kind of hinted meaning over here. And so when we go to Acts 2, we start to realize they met together. But there were like 3,000 of them, we're told, that got saved. So clearly they weren't all in one room. See what I'm saying? So when the author reads it, Hey, they came together and it was this beautiful moment and they gathered together and they met together around fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, communion, all these things. Wink. There was some order there. You start to see what is obvious but not right there in the text. It's kind of, it's the hinted meaning. And some of us leave it at this because we don't assume certain things are in place. So when I read Acts 2, and maybe it's different for you, I read and go, there were small groups in place. It doesn't necessarily talk about them. But for 3,000 people to meet around four practices, there needs to be some process and order and strategy. So I look at it and I almost feel like God going to me, I had this one covered, bro. It wasn't by accident that 3,000 people got saved. I already had leaders and people that were going to influence and bring together pockets of people. There are people in this room, Link Church, that put their hands up to say, we want to open our home to serve a small group. That is awesome because you're choosing to serve God. Here's what's more beautiful. God put that seed in you first. Because God goes ahead. So when they continued to meet, plain meaning, in each other's home, they also did it with some kind of order. Hinted meaning. I got this covered, Dill. I'm not just going to save the world without giving it an ordered flow. And so when we read the text, we realize that God is also into things that we don't always see first up. I hope this is helping you. And so I'm thinking 3,000 people. They must have been kids. What did they do with the kids? They had a kids' church. Like, must have. Or maybe the kids were involved for a bit. And then they started kids' church, you know. I realized this wasn't going to work. And so there was something just behind the meeting 
that God had put in play, but we just didn't see it first up. The hinted meaning, the reference meaning, the implied meaning of the Scripture. Um, in Psalm 57, it says, as I referenced just now, I'll take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Again, there's this picture of protection. But what is the reference meaning? What is, what is the hinted meaning? Well, wings suggest movement to me. And so God's protection is mobile, not static. You see what I'm saying? And so we start to read a verse that's very obvious and exciting, God, I love your protection. And then we layer it and we go, yeah, but also it suggests if there's movement. So that means I'm protected when I'm moving with Jesus. Not when I'm static, hoping it's all going to work out, but when I'm walking toward what he has for me already. Can you see why this is so important? So that in church, we don't actually get to the place where we just go, you know, I've arrived. I got my hand up. It's all good. I show up in church. No, no, no. We're on a journey. Shout journey. There's layers. Tell us the story again, Dad. All right, David hid in the refuge of God's wings, in the shadow of his wings. All right, so what are you saying, God? I'm moving. Move with me. Implied meaning. This is how we bring Scripture together between the New and the Old Testament. In Matthew 2, it speaks about, there's this statement where it says, Out of Egypt I've called my son, which is when Jesus comes back with his family from Egypt. All right? But he's referencing a prophecy in Hosea that's all about Israel. So the obvious is Jesus came home. The hint is Jesus and Israel are connected. And so more and more as we read, we start to ask God to show us what's implied by this text. Now, I'm not, I'm not, some of you are thinking, whew, this is deep for a Sunday morning. Just take what you need. But the goal is simply this, that you don't stop at, I read verse 1 and 2, I've done my word for the day. That you're actually processing it and asking God to show you things. And so I'm hoping that somehow you're taking notes. I see three people doing it, so I'm encouraged. You're taking notes so that when you open your word, it comes alive. People often say to me, I wish I could read the word like you do. I'm like, we read the same way. You just don't give it time. It's a journey. And so there's this simple or plain meaning. And then there's this referenced or implied meaning. We're moving. Shout layers. The pursuit of paradise. Can't wait for this to all end for you just now. When it does, you're going to wish you had taken notes. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to close. Worship team's going to be up here. We're going to sing, and you're going to be thinking, man, I wish I wrote those four letters down. I cannot believe I left them behind. Because when you realize where it leads you, you're going to wish for more of it. The third letter is the letter D. P-R-D. Dirush, or devotion. This is the searched out meaning. This is often where sermons come from. Preachers will take the plain and obvious text and some of the hints like I'm doing for you today, and they'll bring them together in a thought that makes it referenced for your life or makes it meaningful for your life. Like things, I said just now, God protects his people, but God is also moving. Therefore, protection is found on the move. Sermons bring those things together. It's the searched out meaning. It's looking at the word and reading it and stopping. Rory Dyer, who's a friend of mine, when I was learning to read the Bible and preach on it, used to say to me, read until your heart burns and then stop reading and ask God to show you why it's burning. Don't just keep moving like that was just an awesome moment. Stop there. If you only get through two words, stop on them. I remember him preaching a message once. The words were, the text was, Ah, Paul, comma, and he stopped there and he said, Let's preach about identity. You see, there's something that happens when you realize Paul is the person that's talking about. The reference is an apostle that did great things, but actually some of the searched out meaning is deep down the God wants to get into identity here. 
And so before we rush into what Paul did and what the next verse says, we start to ask God, what is he saying to us through identity? This is derush, or the searched meaning, or the devoted meaning. So in Acts 2, um, things like they devoted themselves to fellowship. Is this helping you, church? They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's obvious. They met. The hint was there must have been some order. I'm just giving you my version. The searched out meaning was fellowship is two fellows in a ship. Ah. <laughs> and you're laughing, but that's the way we get conversation going. And so Hebrew culture, they would say something like that, and everyone would be like, oh, I think it's this, I think it's that. What does he mean by that? And I'm saying it's you, me, and Jesus. It's fellowship. So fellowship doesn't take place until I'm with somebody else, but more importantly, until Jesus is in the center of our conversation. And so we bring like this beautiful truth to very simple, obvious language. Otherwise, you know what we'll do? We'll meet because that's what it says to do, but we'll never put Jesus in the center. So we never discover the truth, which comes on to say they, they, they experienced awe and miraculous signs and wonders, and they had favor on their lives, not just because they met, because they fellowshiped. Fellowship is not just meeting. Fellowship is meeting with Him in the middle. And so when we have a coffee at lunch with our business colleagues, we start to ask questions about their personal lives, and then we put a word in the middle or a scripture in the middle or a prayer in the middle so that Jesus shows up in the conversation because that's what moves the needle. I feel like I'm preaching. Shout out layers. And so it's breaking of bread. Well, is that communion? I think it's part of it, but also it's like a meal. There's much debate over whether that speaks of communion or a meal. Why can't it be both? And so we read the scripture and we go, why does it have to be one or the other? Why does it have to be that? What if it's both? What if they, they had a meal together, but part of their meals was breaking bread to the glory of God? Why do I say grace over my Friday meal and, and think that that formality takes care of that blessing? And then on a Sunday, I peel back the miracle meal and I sip that one like it's different. Why don't when I have bread at the table, I just thank God that every meal is a reminder of Him? Every bread is a reminder of him. Every bit of juice and grape juice and call it what, everything reminds me of what he did for me. And so we can read it and say, they broke bread. And we go, that's the answer, guys. We take communion. I can say, well, actually, what about we eat together and take communion? What about you, me, and Jesus? And so it starts to take on a preached meaning or an analogical meaning. And so when you start to read the word and say, God, teach me about the bigness of this scripture. I don't want it to end with me. I want it to come alive in my business and my family. And I, I want to ask my kids, what are they hearing in this text? What are they seeing in this word? And as it starts to expand, so does our hearts. You see, this was a feast for us. This is not a snack. It's a feast. There's more than enough for all, all of our needs. But I just think God's inviting us to a greater journey with it. It speaks of them being together, but there were 3,000. Like, do any of you ever stop and think they probably weren't in the same room? Even now when you go to Israel, there just aren't rooms for 3,000 people. Communities were small and intimate. And so together is not about them in the same room. It's them in the same spirit. And so you can be united with a business colleague and never enter the boardroom together. I'm preaching. Husbands and wives can, I know husbands that work far from their wives. They're away for eight weeks at a time. But they're more united than people that live in the same home. 
Because when we read the word like they were together, we think, well, then it must have to be in, we're sitting next to each other. Well, maybe it means, no, we just share the same spirit. We are next to each other at times, but also when we're not next to each other, we're still next to each other. Which means when somebody asks me about you in the public space, what I do is I spend my, I, I, I use that moment to build a fort around your life because I'm united with you. I'm not even with you, but I'm building a fort around your life because we're together. Someone asks me about the business people in this church. I back you. Not because I'm building business with you, though if you gave me 5% of your business, I wouldn't say no. Only the profitable ones, please. The other ones you can leave and... But the point is, I'm building business with you whether I'm on your spreadsheet or not. We're together because we're in the kingdom. We're going places. So when they sold everything and they gave as they had need, they were together. Some people, you see, we read that and think, oh, man, but some people are going more. And some, it must be easy for the guys with not much to sell it and the guys with It doesn't matter. The point is we're together. And so the story starts to expand. I hope this is helping you. We're looking for the searched out meaning in the scripture. What does this mean for us as a family? What does this mean for us as a nation? We don't have to fill stadiums to show our unity. But when we do fill stadiums, we have an option whether we do show unity or not. You see what God is saying? Filling this room is exciting. I love it. I would have it no other way. But filling this room is not the goal. Filling our hearts with His Word and His presence is so that when we leave the room, we're more united than when we came in. I feel like I'm preaching good. I'll be honest. Like, Matt, just now when you play the drums, I just want you to play with extra courage. All right. And so we get analogies. And like there's a cool scripture in Matthew 18, the searched out meaning. It says, um, uh, Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, and practically what that means is what you speak, you see. or uh, what you, but, but actually when you dig into the depths, when you get into that scripture, it's from, a, it's from a really cool Hebrew tradition called halakha, which is to say when you walk with God, you receive your adequate reward. So whatever you bind on earth, whatever you tie yourself to, the people, the communities, the way of life, it has a natural reward of unlocking heaven. You see, it's deeper meaning. I do pray, God, I pray that you would uh, remove this from my life, and I pray that you would add this from my life. That's the simple practical. We never lose that. We do what it says. But deeper than that, I also see that God is also showing me something further down, that actually when I walk with you, what my words are saying is aligning with the way I walk, and the power doubles up then. And so we have the church doing the basics sometimes, but not letting God go deeper where he gets all of your life. And so we say the right things, but we don't always see the kind of results or the favor we want. You see, Acts 2, they enjoyed the favor of God in all people. I mean, that's the, that's the win right there. But how they got there was by layers and, and digging deeper and asking God for greater meaning. And so how we get to the best life God has for us, friends, is not ending at go. It's journeying with God. I want to encourage some people today who feel like, man, this Bible is just so big, where to start? I want to encourage you, come grab one. There's some really beautiful Bibles up front if you don't have a beautiful one. Start the journey. Start highlighting. Stop. Circle it. Go on a journey with God. I was thinking of Psalm 57. What's the devoted meaning? Worship team, you can come join me. It speaks about hiding under the refuge of His wings. Practically, God protects Wings suggest movement. But if I get deeper and deeper, wings also suggest height. All right, so now when I'm resting in Christ, I'm also elevating myself above the worries of the world. So the question becomes, how do I rest in Him? You see, one scripture has just gone to a whole new level. 
And then preachers bring thoughts and ideas, and God starts to show us, how do we find rest in Him? What are wings? And so the script, they just get laid and laid. Shout out layers. All right, the fourth word is sud. Wood, sud. Same language, said sud. (laughs) Secret meaning. It's like that little nugget that God just had for you. You know, when I went to Israel, it was so beautiful. We were with 10 people. We all went to the same sites. Do you know we all took something different from them? You know why? Because we have a heavenly father, and he's entrusted to his children, each of us, unique treasures and gifts. Why? It's like with your children. You don't want them all to follow the same pursuit. You want them to find out what it is about them and their uniqueness and their design. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so what God does is he hides the secrets of Jesus in the scriptures. He doesn't hide them from us. He hides them for us. So that when we seek out the word, when, we, when we're in the scriptures, and I hope church, we become a church. I imagine a church that loves reading the word because we start to see the layers. And as we get into the layers, we start to see the life that's in the layers. You see, Jesus is in every letter, in every text. But often we just skim over and we don't give time for God to show us where he's at. And so Sud is the secret meaning. It's, the, it's that little treasure that sometimes only you see. And you want to go and tell all the world, like the scripture says, where the man, he buys the whole field for the little treasure that's in the middle. He, just, he wants his whole life to count for that one little thing. This is, the, this is the secret meaning of the text. And so in Acts 2, the treasures become things like they broke bread together. And I look at them and I go, they shared communion. They also ate, but bread is Jesus. So what they actually did was enjoy Jesus together. It's a secret. Sometimes I'll read a text and I'll see a word that reminds me that's who Jesus is. That's not who I am. That's not what the world's doing. That's who Jesus is. And when I get them, I'm like, that's a secret. I'm not sure if anyone else has seen that, but there he is right there. It's a secret. You see, what if, what if Psalm 57, what if the wings were goodness and mercy? I mean, we could go into a whole other series on that. But what if his goodness and mercy were the wings that give us protection, that rise above? You see what I'm saying? It's beautiful. And as we start to jump into this thing, as we start to ask God to show us, why am I teaching you this? Because the word was never meant to be my secret. It was meant to be enjoyed by all of us, you and I together, online friends, that's you too. And so when we get into these these stories and these moments, the secret meaning. Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the secret of the Most High, or the secret place of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. What's the secret place? It's when you've journeyed with God. It's when you've seen something that shows you who Jesus is. It's the finished work, all right? It's when you realize there's nothing left you can bring. And I promise you the best parts of this Bible are never about what you do next. Always about what Jesus did first. You know, you start reading this and you think, that's awesome, I'll do that next. That's cool, I got a scripture, I got a text, I got a quote for my business, I got a brand for the wall, I got a bumper sticker, I got all that kind of stuff. But the power of this thing is never about what you do next, it's always about what he did first. And when you see what he did first, you couldn't be bothered about what you do next. Whether you got a big bank account or a small bank account, whether everyone thinks you're winning or everyone knows you're losing, it doesn't matter because your identity is stooped in what he did first. You see, he who dwells in the secret place, when you see Jesus, will rest in the shadow. The cross, friends, has cast a shadow on humanity that is a place of rest for people. 
And when you stand beneath the finished work at the cross, there is a shadow that falls on our lives that is restful and beautiful. And it causes us to rise above the chaos of this world. Not because I read three verses, because that's what you do as a Christian. Because I dug and I searched and I asked God, show me what Jesus did for me. And when you see what Jesus did for you, friends, there is now no more shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, goodness flows where there is no condemnation and, and, and mercy flows where there is no shame. And so now I'm starting to realize where there's no shame and there's no condemnation, I rest in the shadow of the finished work of Christ. But I didn't just get there by accident. I went on a journey. All right. Shout layers. Tell us the cave story, Dad. You know? I'm like, God, tell me that story again about when you healed the leper because there was more going on than when I read it the first time. Tell me that story again, Jesus, of when you flipped the tables in the temple because I love to talk about why it's wrong when others do that, but teach me the meaning of what your heart was for that moment. Jesus, when you took them up on the hill and you asked who the people say I am, why was that so important? Go and read it. Ask God to show you it again. P-R-D-S. Anyone picked up where this is going? In Hebrew culture, they call this the pardes way of reading the Bible. All right? When you put the vowels, when you take the vowels out, you get P-R-D-S. Yes, but the word is paradise, where we, we get our word paradise. Paradise means the garden of Eden, an orchard of life, abundance, fruitfulness. That's what it means, practically. And what we believe, and what many have believed over the centuries, is when you read this word, what it produces is an orchard of life and fruitfulness. But it's when you read it in layers. And you don't have to get them right. I mean, we're all on a journey. But you have to give God permission to show you something new. And I wondered who's sitting in the room today going, Wow, this really speaks to me, but I'm not sure what to do next. I'll tell you what you do next. You write those four letters, P-R-D-S. If you missed them, go watch the sermon again. I told you, you wish you had notes. And when you read, you read a verse and you stop and you ask God, What's obvious? What's hinted? What's the deeper meaning? And where's the secret? And I promise you, as you start to do that, friends, you will go on a journey, a pursuit of paradise. What if paradise was not a one-day when? It was a word that got into our spirit now. What if paradise was not somebody else's story? It'll never be mine. My life will always be marked by these things. What if actually God says, I wrote this word for all my children? No one, no one gets it and others don't. I, get, I gift this to my children. And in this is life. And in this is orchards of life. And in this is the Garden of Eden. And in this is paradise. What if the feeling of waking up in what we imagine to be the Garden of Eden was linked to a very simple pursuit in His Word? So let me ask you a couple of honest questions. Who feels busy? Don't, don't, don't raise your hands. We all feel busied. Feel rushed feel anxious, feel unsure, feel desperate, um, feel jealous, envious. Those things are all attached to what you believe is the beautiful picture of what life could and should be. 
And what if the solution to that life was not in doing what others did or following another thing or next trend or five steps? What if it was linked to saying, Father, Heavenly Father, like I'm just here and I got a word and I'm about to go into a business meeting and it's a big business meeting and you're sending your friends text, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Cool. What about you just stop and open the word and say, God, show me a secret today that this boardroom has never, ever heard of. And give me the courage to bring it in a way that changes society and culture. What if when you walked into the classroom, teachers, the heroes of our world, walk into their classroom, kids, big questions. You just ask God, before I walk in, God, just show me some secrets. Show me some hidden nuggets. What about marriages? You're about to go on a date night and you're just so happy it's finally happened. It's been three months. You've been talking about it. You put it in the calendar. Someone's booked the Japanese restaurant because it's her favorite place and, you know, <laughs> off you're going, but you got nothing. He's going to go and eat. And you say, God, before I eat with the lady that you gifted me, show me some secrets about your girls that I can encourage her tonight. We would live in a very different society. I'll go so far as to say, we may even live in what feels like paradise. Stand with me, church.